would encourage you to uh, grab your Bibles this morning and turn in them uh, to Genesis chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 28. We're going to be looking at two different texts this morning, which may at first glance seem to not have a whole lot to do with one another. But we, a couple of weeks ago, started a series which is beginning at the beginning in creation and will take us up to the birth of Jesus in December on Christmas Day. So we are walking through the Old Testament through our fall and early winter uh, months together, looking at the various ways in which God is revealing himself to be present, faithful, committed in our lives. Uh, That's the way he reveals that he is blessing the world. And he also, as we are reading these texts, are becoming aware of the fact that this is how God invites us to bless the world to be present in a world that needs people to be present, to uh, give us the ability and the resources to be faithful. When the world turns its back, we are called to be faithful. We are called to commit to people and to situations just as God is committed to us. And in that way of reflecting him, we bless the world and we point people to him. And so, as we began in the creation story, last week we wondered how human sinfulness would impact creation. Would human sinfulness, would wickedness completely undermine and destroy God's plan? Would it make what God had intended from the beginning unsuccessful? And what we saw in the flood is not that God says, oh no, plan A didn't work, now I got to come up with plan B. It wasn't as if God was saying, hmm, this way of working with people didn't work, and so now I have to come up with something brand new. We actually see in the flood story that God, when washing the world clean, recommits to his plan in creation. He repeats the very things he says with a few differences, but he really says to the creatures, to his image bearers, continue to do what I have called you to do from the beginning. And this morning, our question, our sort of big question about the way in which God reveals himself and the way he invites us to bless the world is where that can happen. Is the way in which we are able to bless the world constricted or restricted to one place? So let's pray. Gracious God, as we open your word this morning, may your spirit, uh, which is here, May you make yourself known. May you make us aware of how you are moving in us and among us so that you can move through us to bless the world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Genesis chapter 11, we're going to be reading the first nine verses. Genesis chapter 11, we're going to be reading the first nine verses. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech, and as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, 
If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So come, let us go down, confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now just hold your uh, finger in uh, chapter 28 because we're going to just pause here for a moment. And we're going to ask the question, what is the problem God has with the people of Shinar? God clearly intervenes into a situation. But what's the problem? What does God take issue with? And it isn't as easy as it first seems. If you have your Bible open, you can see uh, back to verse 3, if we go back a couple of slides. Uh, I have this on, but it's not working. So if you want to go back to uh, verse 3, come, let us make bricks and bake them. Is there something wrong with changing technology? Is there something wrong with people saying, hey, bricks made this way would be better? Well, it doesn't seem as if God's response is to this specifically. So maybe it's the next thing where God says, or the people say, come, let us build ourselves a city. Our city's the problem. Should we all move out into the country and have our own acreage? Well, we know by the way the Bible ends in a new city, the new city of Jerusalem, that cities aren't God's problem. So let's keep going with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Is the tower the problem? Well, it's fascinating to consider that usually when God is upset about something like Jericho, when God is upset about the nations, he destroys something, and yet we're told that the tower itself isn't destroyed, it's simply abandoned. God doesn't seem to have a response to the tower or the city. That's sort of just left. It's empty on the landscape. So maybe it's the second part of verse 4. So that we may make a name for ourselves. Of course, the making a name for ourselves is conditional upon that second part. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And if we look at the response of God, that God has issue with the people saying, this is the one place we are going to be. This is going to be the one place where we build this tower so that we can all stay here in one place and make sure that the one thing we're doing, uh, we are all committed to. That seems to be what God takes issue with. The lack of scattering Now, that seems to be a strange thing for God to become angry about. That God would be upset that there are a people who have a single vision that would have an impact on the world. Just think about that language for a second in terms of a church. We 
task our administrative elders to keep us on mission, to have one vision and one mission, and to keep the body of believers here, some of us here in the worship center, some of us in the gathering place, some of us at home online, some of us scattered to other parts of the country, to commit to that one vision. And to discern, as we think about that mission and that vision, things that get in the way, we push to the side. Now, if you look at Babel, that's really in some ways what's going on here, right? The people who are settling in this plane are saying, we want to commit to one place so that we can be united. Isn't unity a good thing? Isn't being the same people committed to one cause, ensuring that everyone can be connected, isn't that a good thing? Again, it seems like this story is fairly straightforward, and yet when we dig beneath the surface and we actually put the language of one into a church, it becomes a little more complicated, doesn't it? Should we not have a single vision? I mean, in some ways, that's what a tower is, isn't it? Something that we are all committed to, this thing that we can rally around and help us to have an impact on the world. In some ways, as I'm working through this text this last week, this is sort of a confusing, this is confusing. This is hard to know what to do with as a pastor, who in many ways... uh, within the job description, is tasked with ensuring that we commit to the vision, that we commit to the mission, that we stay on point, that we have something that we can all rally around. So what do we do with this? Because God, in this situation at least, comes down, looks at things and says, we have to change it. It's got to be different. A number of commentators sort of take a backwards reading of this text and they say the problem with being in one place and saying we're going to make sure that we commit to this one thing is a refusal to do what God commanded at the beginning, which is to fill the earth. So in that way, to say this is the place, the one place where God is, and this is the one place where we can experience God, and this one vision and mission we rally around will be the one thing that defines us that can undermine God's original call to go and make disciples, to be fruitful and fill and rule to teach. This past uh, week, the newest episode of a podcast that has been uh, become quite popular is, uh, came out called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Some of you maybe have been listening to this. Christianity Today is uh, publishing this podcast about uh, Seattle, Mars Hill and uh, Pastor Mark Driscoll. 
And it's a cautionary tale about a church that grew to 15,000 members at one point and almost overnight uh, dissolved. Went from 15,000 to zero, being non-existent almost overnight. And as the podcast has been unfolding over the last number of weeks, there are elements of that story which we can see in this text, in the story of the Tower of Babel. One of them is that in the story of Mars Hill, what became important was the brand of Mars Hill, the, the person of Mark Driscoll and of the preaching, teaching ministry. That was the thing which everything else became subservient to. Everything else was in service of this one person and this one part of ministry. And everything else that occurred had to fall in line to be part of the brand of Mars Hill. And so when we wonder about the brand of our own church, what comes to mind? And should only one thing come to mind? One of the questions that came up. The other piece that came up from this podcast was the idea of the tower, this one thing that became the, def the definition of success. Right in the text, we see that the people are building this tower which will reach to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. In other words, the way that we will know that we have succeeded as a gathering, a community of people, is that we will have a tower that reaches to the heavens that has a wide-ranging impact. And of course, in the tale of Mars Hill, the numbers, the number of people who were members, who were attending, the number of baptisms and converts, all of this became the way in which the practices of the church got defended. It didn't matter who got stepped on. It didn't matter who was crushed. It didn't matter who was on board or not or who got rowed over or not. The numbers said, the tower being built said, this is successful. And it's worth wondering in this story and in our own context, if we wonder what success looks like in the context of first Cutlerville, are we defining that or is God? And the reason we include this second story, this second text, is because it plays into some of the things that we normally associate with success. One thing, one rallying point, one brand. And instead we see that God, our God, from creation can work anywhere. He can go anywhere. He can work in any context. He can use any person, whether they are part of the insiders or an outcast whether they are at home or on the road, God is able to not only be present in, but work through the wanderer, the one far off, far away. 
And in this, we see that unity in Christ Jesus is not sameness. It's not about everyone being the same. It's not about even our church being the same as the one down the street or trying to fit into some kind of place, but to recognize that God makes us unique, that God gives us different calls, different visions, different missions, some together, but some individual, as a way of being scattered into the world as his image bearers to do his work to be fruitful and fill the earth, to rule over and subdue, which we hear echoes of in the call to go, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize and teach, knowing that God goes with us wherever we go. And so the story of Jacob, which is what we'll close with, and is an important one to pair with the Tower of Babel, which is to say it's not so much about our building a place where then we can allow God to come down to be where we are, but it is about God coming down. It is about God going with us. It is about God sending us to the places he will, even when it is confusing and not necessarily our first choice to be part of his plan and purpose. So read with me Genesis chapter 28. We'll start at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba, set out for Haran. Beersheba is the place where Jacob's family is from. It's the place where the promise of God was given to his grandfather Abraham. It was the place where the promise was given to his father Isaac. It was the place where Jacob understood God to be. And yet now he is forced to leave. Will the promises of God, will the presence of God, will God's commitment to him remain in Beersheba? Or will it disappear? Or will it, as this text reveals, will there be a different option? When Jacob reached a certain place, notice it doesn't have a name. It's a no place. He stopped for the night because the sun had set and taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Notice the environment here. There's not a tree. There's not a sign. There's not a big boulder. There's nothing to define this place at all. There's no tower, no centralized city. It is very much a no place with no thing. And yet when Jacob lays down and goes to sleep, he had a dream where he sees a staircase resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Here in no place is a gateway between heaven and earth. It does not take a tower. God can be anywhere. And there above it, there above the staircase stood the Lord, this ladder, and he said, I am the God, the God of your father Abraham, the God of, your, uh, of Isaac, your father. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Notice who is the one who is using his people to finish and complete his promises. I will do this. I will give you 
God is the one who says, this is the mission and I will make the way for you. And I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? For this is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. And so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, set it up as a pillar, poured oil on it, anointing it, and called it Bethel, the house of God. Though the city nearby used to be called Luz. And Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and we will give and give me food to eat and clothes to wear and that I return safely to my father's house. The Lord will be my God. And the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. We are not only God's people when we are gathered in one place around one time and one idea. We are God's people with his command and his call wherever we are scattered. And God goes with us wherever we go. And the mission and the vision he gives to us together, yes, is united and unique as we seek to understand how God has uniquely equipped all of us to do his will and his work. But that does not mean that we do not and cannot and must not also be on mission for God in our being scattered, in our going in our places of school, our places of work, our places of home, our neighborhoods, our uh, care facilities, wherever we are and however we go, into our no places. There is God. Let's pray. God, sometimes we commit to building something, imagining that that is where you will be. And everything we do is committed to that one thing. And sometimes these things become too important in our lives. If we're honest, sometimes the tower we build to say this is where God is, it can be a church. It's especially a struggle for, for those of us in ministry or church leaders. But sometimes it's our families. We say that success is defined by this one place where you are building. Maybe it's a school. Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's something else. It's an identity that we are forming and it's become the one place where we imagine that God will be. And if we could only complete the project that there you would be. And yet God, you remind us as you had to remind Jacob that the promises you make to us are promises that are true no matter where we are. That the promises you make to us in our baptism are not suddenly forgotten when the font is no longer in view. And that the promises that you make to us to be our God and for us to be your people are true when we are home, whether we are at play, whether we are in our neighborhoods, on vacation, wherever we are. And you, God, Commit to us 
in a way that is more intentional and more forceful than we could ever commit to you. And so may we live into that, rest in that. As Jacob gave glory to you, may we also glory in that. Truth, that promise. In Christ's name, amen.